Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I am the host of the Association 4.0 podcast. And I'm also co-founder of .org Community and founder and CEO of .org Source, a consultancy to associations. I'm excited that today my guest is Chris Globy, Chief Consultant at Ricochet. For over 25 years, Chris worked on the ground driving marketing, experimentation, and change for the world's most notable brands, including BP, Chrysler, Kraft, Unilever, and more. He later brought innovative culture to the American Bar Association as its first ever chief marketing officer, reversing decades of membership decline. Chris and his team have helped associations and law firms leverage modern marketing technologies and strategies to build stronger connections to prospects, clients, and members. So welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. This is going to be fun. Yeah, thanks, Sherry. It's good to see you again. Yeah. So tell us about your company, your responsibilities, your professional journey. Give us a little bit of background about who you are. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I worked for a decade at some big global ad agencies where it was fantastic marketing training as I was working on big brands, on big campaigns with a special focus on digital and data. And then I actually went to become, as you mentioned, the first chief marketing officer where I led membership efforts for the American Bar Association. That's the big organization of lawyers, over 400,000 members. While I was there, my job was to transform that organization, rebuild the MarTech stack, re-energize the data collection efforts. I will not forget rebuilding that AMS. We did an AMS upgrade. I swore I, I would never do it again. That was an <laughs> enormous project. And importantly, change the processes and the way that we marketed in uh, the association to acquire and keep our members. After working with the American Bar for many years, I decided to break out on my own and take lots of those learnings from my ad agency days and from the American Bar, driving that change and bring it to other associations. And today, that's what my company does. We help transform marketing and membership efforts at associations. That's great, Chris. And I think I first met you when you were at the agency working with the Bar Association. So we've gone back a little bit of time here. <laughs> That's right. So one of my clients was the American Bar. And this is kind of a common thing in the ad agency yeah. world. When it's time for you to kind of retire out of the ad agency environment, you often go work for a client that you understand very well. And I was lucky yeah. to work for the American Bar. Yeah, that was great. Um, so, um, question for you, how do you view, view the status of association membership today? I'm kind of curious of what you're seeing are some of the challenges that people are experiencing and what are some of the opportunities that you're aware of? Yeah, so for so many decades, membership was kind of a given for anybody in a professional setting. If you were a lawyer, of course, you were going to be a member of the American Bar or an accountant. Mm -hmm. You were going to be part of AICPA. It was almost your duty to the profession, and it was necessary because you needed that access to information or those networks. But in today, today in 2023, professionals 
get information very differently. We get it through the internet and we network very differently. We don't have to meet in person. We can use LinkedIn or even other social channels, post um, in community forums and more. So increasingly, I think associations are under pressure to deliver value in new and unique ways that only they can provide. And that's a tough strategic challenge in order to protect your membership. Yeah. Um, so when you're working with a client who's struggling to recruit and retain members, I guess, what is kind of the first question you ask? And I guess, how do you help them strategize based on their responses? So I'm going to tell you the first like the first deliverable, the first task or exercise that we work through. And Sherry, I think you're going to be shocked at how difficult this is. So the first task or question I ask is, what are your benefits? And people actually often don't have that list of benefits. They don't <laughs> have that one pager. So right now, even this morning, I was reviewing one of my clients, one pager. We sat down and we said, we're going to list this all out. We have all of these benefits and they're not all available to every member type. And some of the things have kind of morphed away. We haven't been focusing on them. We use that one pager list of benefits to help focus our attention and our, our thoughts around what it is that our value proposition is, what we're going to market with. And that is the basis for lots of marketing communications that we'll do and research also. So what do you feel that, you know, I think smaller associations have sometimes have a difficult time implementing MarCom technology. Um, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, so I don't, you're absolutely right. MarCom technology in general, just tech, tech in general, can be really difficult to execute. And we're fortunate now that we have some pretty good tools out in the marketplace that maybe are even commercially available that give you some great functionality. So whether you're working with MailChimp or something much more intricate like HubSpot, I, I think that the, that the ease of subscribing has kind of simplified access to it and that there's a lot of online help and training to learn your way through it. Yeah. So, um, so one thing I've been thinking about or curious about, um, you know, a number of associations are either they have or they're considering kind of changing their membership models. Um, we've seen a lot of different changes. I think, you know, several years ago, everybody kind of changed to um, uh, kind of a, not everyone, but there was a lot of folks that were thinking about this good, better, best kind of model of yeah. membership and benefits. And now people are going coming away from that and looking at different types of membership models. So I just kind of want to hear what are your thoughts about the best structure for kind of our future success? Yeah. So maybe you and I can go back and forth a little bit on this. So I've, I've witnessed some model changes that were disastrous that mm -hmm. resulted in a significant dues shortfall. So I think, number one, it's so important to do the detailed, hardcore research, and we're talking quantitative research with somebody that understands how to do the financial modeling, bring a partner in to do that, and understand what your risk exposure is. So if dues is your number one or number two revenue generator for your organization, don't just willy, you know, yeah. on a whim go and change it. This is a big business decision you need to do hardcore analysis. You're absolutely right that as um, kind of 
consumer services have started to offer good, better, best options, your internet package, maybe your gym membership, maybe your, your, um, your Netflix subscription has different levels, that, 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 that there's a lot of interest in the association industry to, um, around that model. However, uh, remember that we're in the end trying to extract the maximum ability to pay from our, from our members for their membership or their willingness to pay. And so the tried and true method for that aligns against career stage or life, career life cycles. And so it's, I, I think, a very common model to have a less expensive dues membership for your early professionals and then more expensive as they grow in their, you know, in their years of experience and their ability to pay for membership. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you were talking about the disasters and it's just, it like came to my brain about, I saw an organization that they added organizational membership. And when they did, they could have like, say that the American Bar Association or whatever, a large organization had 50 staff that were members and then now they're under this organizational membership umbrella and all of a sudden 50% of the dues that they were paying um, went away, which was great for that organization, right? The big organization, but it wasn't good for the association. Yep. So you have to yeah, absolutely do the practical analysis. So I've been part of a situation just like that. Remember that institutional memberships can often be kind of individually or specifically priced. So you want to make sure, so sure you're not dropping in the revenue when you're creating kind of this bundled offering. So yeah. I, I used to do I used to do bespoke pricing for each in the, each institution because we had to be sure that we were not dropping in our dues revenue. Yeah, I also was I was sitting in a board meeting one time and. They had a new membership model and, and was like, uh, you know, good, better, best, or was actually, they, they used the term basic. That was the, that was a problem number one. And, and wow. I'm going to, I'm going to explain why. So there was like basic and then whatever. So they had these three tiers, which was fine. And this was a medical association. So it was fine that they had the three tiers. They were all okay with that, but the way that they titled them and they said the word basic and there was a doctor in the room. He's like, well, I don't want to be a basic member. And I was like, oh, they've got a problem now. So they never changed it. They left it at basic. I don't know why they didn't change it, but, you know, but I think it's that too, like really thinking through, as you said, and looking at, you know, the market and saying, okay, if we do this, then what? And kind of, you know, kind of tested out a little bit because they they didn't go to that extent um and actually this is a group that um is looking now at you know a different membership model but um but you it know can, it's interesting it can be millions of dollars on the line so i cannot caution people enough do the research research at every step i would even test different names now i'm not saying one person like that's an anecdotal right. you know response yeah. one person but I would test the names before I would drop that into the marketplace. I also see often people that are playing with their membership model do all the research and they have the recommendations from the research and then it goes through a political process. Maybe uh -huh. that's your board, maybe you're a large organization with the House of Delegates where things get kind of morphed or reshaped in the political process to the point that it doesn't follow that research recommendation. 
And then there's confusion about why the dues dollars are not matching what the projections were. Yeah. Um, so Chris, I was recently on your program talking about AI and you can tell, well, first, why don't you tell people about um, the program you put on? Cause I think it's great. So why don't we do that first before I yes. ask you my next question? <laughs> so one, one thing I'm enthused about is kind of bringing so many of my experiences and the formal training to many marketers in the association industry that didn't have the advantage of being formally trained at an ad agency or elsewhere. So I've launched the Association Academy, and that's ASSNAcademy.com, where year-round we put on courses. And so we were so fortunate to have you join us for part of our 10-week membership growth course. So that's 10 sessions. We always meet on Thursdays for a live class. And so we talk about different topics and ways to grow membership and bring in expert speakers like you. Yeah, that, that was fun. Um, it was a great, uh, great program. And um, so anyway, we talked then about AI a bit um, and how you can use AI kind of to, to help with your the work that you're doing is in membership um, areas. But what do you what are your favorite AI tools these days? or now these days, not like it was a different day, but right? <laughs> anyway, these past yeah. 30 days, right? Yeah, past 30 days. <laughs> so I, I am, the things that capture my imagination are in the future, but I have some very practical real world favorites right now. And so I am not somebody that, I did not love SEO for 20 years. I have not enjoyed SEO, the conversations about it and more, but finally the, the promise of, tools like Jasper AI and SEMrush. And there are some other new tools coming onto the market that combine the SEO analysis with the ability to write content makes SEO really accessible to people like me. So it figures out what the keywords are that we should be hitting and writes that first draft content. And you can even integrate some of this with WordPress or your CMS. So that it just strips out so much of the labor and helps you you know, bring in many leads through that you were maybe not getting before because your site wasn't optimized to bring in that like anonymous traffic. Yeah, so that's I a love good... I love Jasper AI. I do like SEMrush. Um, of course, we're all playing with some of the content or the video and the image generation tools, but I haven't been able to actually put them into use. The quality hasn't been there yet for me. Yeah, I agree. Um... But you're right about the SEO because that could, was always it's always such a headache and um, and then you just and then people don't do it you know and don't but so those tools are great great tips for our audience that's great maybe um, I would like to tell you maybe a funny story about kind of the first uh, AI experience that I had working with an association yeah so please we when Chat GPT came out we absolutely said hey look we need to learn at least a little bit of this let's try it. Another thing I don't like to do is write press releases. So there's some, there are things I love and things I don't love. And so the team said, hey, we're going to write a press release with ChatGPT. And they did. So they draft. I was shocked at how great the draft was, probably because press releases are kind of fluffy and follow a pretty familiar format. Yeah. But buried in the middle of that draft was the name of our uh, association CEO and his title. And so it had the association's uh, leader's name, and then it said chairman of the board. And nobody fact-checked that. And his title was CEO, not chairman of the board. So of course we published that. And of course, 
we had to retract it and resend it. And that was not, that was like a major embarrassment to have the association CEO catch that mistake. And I think it's like a word of warning. So chat GPT wrote it with like an authoritative tone. And if you're reading it, you sometimes don't question every little nuanced fact. fact. And so that was a case where we missed an important element and had to go back and fix it. It's not such a great experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that too. I'm also playing around with, um, it's called AnyWord, which I think it uses chat GPT as kind of layers on top, but it helps you kind of craft like those things like a blog post or a press release or things like that. But it's definitely, it does pick up things where you're like, eh, you know, we need to, I still feel like you need to have somebody like editing, right? Like, and making sure that, that the information is factual, or like you said, you, it looks like you're like, oh yeah, that's his title. Like, and nobody questioned it. it. Yeah. Including me, yeah. I proofed yeah. it and I didn't question it. So it yeah. was a mistake. tell me what was that? So I don't think I know the tool that you just named. Um, any, any word. Fantastic. Yes. So is that so, any word.com? Um, it might be dot AI. I don't uh, yeah. remember, but if you Google it, you'll find it. Um, and it's, uh, it kind of layers on top and it helps you kind of structure whatever content that you're developing. Um, I think it, the end product is better than using chat GPT, but it is a, you have to pay for it. There's a subscription yeah. for it. It's nominal, but there is that. So, um, I think there's a free trial for like two weeks or something. Well, I think it's it's reasonable that we're going to have to pay for these tools. I do think also it's worth mentioning that like Firefly from Adobe started oh, yeah. promising for me to create images, and many of many, none of a none of us associations have the budget to do you know photo shoots for anything. We're all using stock photography, so I am excited that we're maybe at the dawn of being able to get some good looking imagery just generated by AI that adds a little more zing to our collateral. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you feel that AI is going to change membership strategies or do you? Um, so it, I don't think this is going to happen overnight. I just read this morning that 40% of the, you know, the quarterly analyst calls for Fortune 500 companies mentioned AI more than five times in the call. Everybody's talking about it, but it's a pretty long road to implement yeah. this. So um, the way that I'm working with my clients right now is we're identifying a couple of tools and saying that this has an opportunity to pull some labor out of some of our marketing collateral work. So we're looking at it as a time-saving tool for now. It's not really doing a, a, like deeper strategy work for us or analytic insights. Uh, I think our hope is that we might be able to automate some of our tasks to free up time so that the humans can do more of that insight work. I, yeah. I've used some AI tools to do some data analysis and the, the results were just wrong. And so I'm, I'm personally a little gun shy right now about having them AI that pulls my lists or AI that creates a dashboard yeah. me because it takes a lot of validation to confirm that that data is correct. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. So I guess, you know, kind of just to, to wrap things up for today, um, do you see the role of associations in society changing over the next decade and why? That's that's the tough question I'm going to leave you with. 
That's a zinger. That really <laughs> is a tough question. So I think that there are kind of some philosophical level discussions that industries need to work, wrestle with in terms of AI. Like, what are some of the ethical, what are some of the societal impacts? What are some of the concerns about the unintended consequences that this might come, that might come from AI? And I do think that that can be association spe uh, industry specific. So how it affects lawyers could be different than how it affects manufacturers could be different than how it affects, you know, uh, other services and other uh, products. So I think that there's an opportunity for associations to lean in and participate in regulation and thought leadership and setting ethical guidelines. And then for our own businesses, I think it's kind of, we, we're going to have to see how the tools evolve and how we might use them ourselves to take out labor, to improve the quality of the work that we do to become sharper thinkers. Yeah. Well, you, um, I started using a note taker and an AI note taker, which is great. But then I sat there and I said, well, I can't share these notes because I might be talking to you about, like I was, I, for instance, I was on a call with a CEO and we were talking about a project. So it was like, okay, he's taking notes and I can share this with everybody. Well, then at the end of the conversation, he was asking me about what I thought about him hiring a potential person. So it was like more of like, it became a different conversation not to be shared, right? So so I think, you know, like with everything, and that's just a simple example, just being like, there's great uses, but being cautious and, and like you said, thinking about, you know, all these things um, that, you know, ethics around use, using, you know, various tools or, um, you know, information being right or information being shared and how things are being shared. So, um, so there's a lot. There's a lot to explore here in the next yep. next several months for sure. And, and I don't want to kind of gloss over. I, I am also interested in these conversations about does AI eliminate jobs? Really, what is the impact to society? Are we creating greater chasms um, in income disparity? So mm. these are like big questions that associations can weigh in on, can do the, the hard thinking about. And there's a role for us there. Yeah, absolutely. So Chris, this was, this was fun. This was, it was, you had some great advice um, for our listeners today. I hope everybody really enjoyed it. Um, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Yes. So they can find me at ricochetadvice.com. That's uh, on the web. And they can also sign peruse and maybe sign up for one of our classes at the Association Academy. And that's assnacademy.com. Great. Well, thanks, Chris, for your time. I really appreciate it. Always great to talk with you. You too. Great to see you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.